0: Welcome to Works Cited, a podcast about poems. I'm Kevin Gautrer calling in from Boston, Massachusetts. And with me is Luke Bauerline. Hey, Luke. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Good. And where are you calling from again? Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And we are also joined by Luke Stromberg. Hey, Luke. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? And you're from, remind me, is it Lower Derby or Upper Derby? Uh,
1: oh, it's Upper Darby, <laughs>
0: Right. Hi. Now, uh, I was thinking about this today, like how you guys—you guys are both basically in the Philadelphia area, right? Yeah, we're about like very close. Yeah,
1: forty-five <laughs> yeah. minutes, half hour away. Yeah. Right.
0: So, yeah. See, like I mean, I say Boston. I'm in Hyde Park, which uh-huh. technically, <laughs> just technically, is considered Boston. Like you can you yeah. can mail me a letter and write Boston instead of Hyde Park. If you get the zip code right, it'll get to me. Um, yeah. I I don't know I just found that really funny uh thinking about it today especially uh some a lot of our listeners probably know uh Mr. Stromberg uh is a chronicler of upper Darby lore. <laughs> 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 and uh it's quite a storied place. I'm thinking it's sort of like a photo negative of Garrison Keillor's uh Lake Wobegon. <laughs> well,
1: I sort of I guess yeah. Um <laughs> I grew up here, I've lived here my whole life. It's not like a glamorous town by any means. <laughs> right. Um it's 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 not like a small town because it's like a big township. It's one of the biggest townships in the country. At one point it was the biggest township in the country. Yeah. And it's kinda like it has different neighborhoods and yeah. The the part that I live is kinda urban. Like I live right on the border to Philadelphia. So, like, I live outside of Philly, like,
0: right outside okay. of Philly. The, uh, you know,
1: I could walk to Philly from my
0: house. And, where, and so where is Phoenixville in all this? Is it... Uh... It's, it's,
2: it's, further, um, it's further north and um, more, sur- more suburban and out there. It's not even on uh, the train line to get into the city, oh. which is something they're trying to work out. Yeah, it's, a little, it's just a little outside of that, that yeah. realm.
1: So. Yeah, it's kinda like on the main line but not.
2: Like it's like past yeah. a little bit.
1: It's, it's a cool yeah, Phoenixville's a cool town.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it definitely is. I mean it was a it was a, it was a steel town for a long time. There was obviously when that industry left um there were some pretty hard times for the town but they really um kind of revived itself around being an arts community and you know, there's a lot of restaurants and uh food festivals and things like that but there and more nonprofits here like per capita uh-huh. than like anywhere in the state which is kind of cool so um yeah. there's definitely there's definitely like a vibe of people trying to look out for each other but it's it's it is definitely a slightly off the beaten path
0: oh cool yeah um, well it's funny because like i you know you talk about Upper Darby being like a really large township, almost like a city like Boston to me is like it's kind of like a a, a really huge small town to me um mm-hmm. you know it's not as yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um and it's uh i don't know it's a cool place you know people pro- a lot of people know that um I moved here from Louisiana in two thousand six and it's been my home ever since then. Um, so I, I don't know why, uh, locales just came to mind and we're not, well, I mean, you know, so the, the poem we're going to read tonight, um, it's, uh, the author calls it an American sonnet. Uh, and we've been talking about the sonnet form this season quite a bit. I know in our yeah. Welding Keys episode, uh, you know, we talk, uh, a lot about it and, um, and this is another poem that kind of, that, that, you know, openly plays with the form. It's a bit subversive around it. And, um. See, you know, not a bad way to start a conversation about a poem that uh, calls its Americanness out. Tonight's poem is taken from the book American Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin by Terrence Hayes. I lock you in an American sonnet that is part prison, part panic closet, a little room in a house set aflame. I lock you in a form that is part music box, part meat grinder, to separate the song of the bird from the bone. I lock your persona in a dream inducing sleeper hold while your better selves watch from the bleachers. I make you both Jim and crow here as the crow you undergo a beautiful catharsis trapped one night in the shadows of the gym as the gym. The field of crow shit dropping to your floors is not unlike the stars falling from the pep rally posters on your walls. I make you a box of darkness with a bird in its heart. Voltas of acoustics, instinct, and metaphor. It is not enough to love you. It is not enough to want you destroyed. So, so Bauerlein, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Hayes and, uh, and a little bit about how we came about uh, picking this poem for tonight?
2: Yeah, well, actually, uh, this is the first listener uh, of Works Cited suggested poem to us. A friend of mine, um, Emily Vanston, uh, said that she would really enjoy if we um, dove into some of Hayes' work, and she suggested this poem and this book by Hayes. Um, when we actually uh, first, when I first suggested that we do this, I didn't realize that it came from a book of, of sonnets where every single sonnet uh, was has the same name. So all of all of the sonnets are called American Sonnet for my past and future assassin, um, and so uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping we picked the right one. This is one of the ones we we found first uh, when we were searching the book. So I think this is the one that Emily was talking about. But we're definitely going to get into um, some some other uh, sonnets in the book. And I'll just give you a little background about Hayes. Um, he's in his mid forties. He's an African American poet. Um, he was winner of the 2010 National Book Award, and he's a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. Uh, his other books are Wind in a Box, Hip Logic, and Muscular Music. His honors include a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and a 2014 MacArthur Fellowship. And so, I mean, this is a guy uh, who teaches in New York. Um, he's he's a pretty uh, prominent poet right now uh, yeah. on the American scene. And, um you know, I think uh, one thing that we need to consider as we as we dive into this book, th- this particular project and what he's referring to as an American sonnet is directly in conversation with Wanda Coleman, who's a poet who um, really for like my understanding is like the last 25, 30 years of her career was really dedicated to this form
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, of the American sonnet. And so in the back of the, uh, the book, the acknowledgement sections, I just wanted to read uh, what Hayes himself Uh, sort of quoted from Coleman as as sort of defining what he thinks of the American sonnet. And some of it is in her own words too. So he says, these poems owe tremendous gratitude to the great Wanda Coleman. When asked in an interview with Paul E. Nelson how she'd given assignment for writing an American sonnet, she said, first, I would explain my process. Then I would invite my students to try it, overlaying their specific one, issues, what the sonnet is about, two, rhythms places and devices often have them three tones shadings of attitude four musical taste slash preference rock classical blues etc how to develop the minimal language to simultaneously encapsulate and signal each and then Hayes interjects when asked for a definition she called the poems jazz sonnets which certain properties progression improvisation mimicry etc and concluded i decided to have fun to blow my soul and, and I, think, I think that is the spirit with which um, he's, he's writing these and entering them. And the, the last tidbit I'll just give for, for listeners at home who aren't familiar with this book, they really came out of uh, an experiment that he was doing with just, you know could he write this form? Could he use this uh, American sonnet form? Which Coleman also, the only real formal constraint she would typically put on them is that they had to be between 14 and 16 lines. And most of Hayes' poems in this book are are fairly consistent line lengths from within the poem themselves. Sometimes there's variations across poems, but typically the, the poems themselves across 14 lines tend to stay pretty consistent. But other than that, the, the formal content inside of that is is sort of as far as the imagination can go, it seems
1: Yeah. To. They're they're sort of like um free verse sonnets. Yeah like if that if that
2: makes any sense, right? Um, which, is not, which is not a totally uncommon uh, American tradition, right? I mean, no, no, no. Old, yeah. that, there's, a, there's a kind of long tradition of, of Americans kind of expanding what that, that form could be. I do think there's a lot of music and like it's not uh, a verse to rhyme, right? That might be one of the things we talk yeah. about, um, sort of yeah. rhymes that are jammed and hidden. Sometimes there's, actual, there's couplets and um, things to me that sort of gesture at the, the moves that, that a sonnet makes, but maybe um, sort of delivered in a different way.
1: Yeah. Yeah Yeah, def- and it's not metrical. Like uh it doesn't it's not there are none of these poems correct, correct. are really regular. Right.
0: Agreed, right? agreed. Yeah. Um, um which is not to say that he's writing without an ear uh that's well tuned, well attuned, well trained. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, oh oh he certainly is. He's got great like, ear.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, there's a really um th- Someone who's really good on these sonnets, uh, like speaking uh, or talk writing about them critically, is uh, the poet Dara Malik. I think that's Wait. how I'm saying her name. Okay. Um, I read an interview with her in in the recent. I think the mo at the at the time of this recording, the most recent issue of the Hopkins Review. Oh yeah. There's a, a long interview with Terence where they discuss this project at length. And then she has some really interesting um, blog posts on the uh, Kenyan Review uh, website, like a series of blog posts about this book and about Hayes and and Wanda Coleman and and the entire project. And she has some really interesting
0: things to say about it. Well, we'll definitely Um, have to link to that um, in the blog post when we release this episode for sure. Yeah. And like, so...
1: Hayes kind of went off and he, you know he did this project, like he wrote them all around the same time, like shortly after the election, the presidential election, where Donald Trump was elected. But he, he these aren't the first um, American sonnets that he wrote. like in his book, "How to Be Drawn too," there's a poem, "American Sonnet for Wanda C." So this is something that he's been, you know, kind of working with before. But this is like a whole sequence. And as Line said, it's interesting. Every poem has the same title. And it's not just like, you know, it's the title of the book. And then it's like one, two. No, it's like at the top of each poem in the book is American Sonnet for my past and future assassin. Which is interesting.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. What do you make of that? I-
1: yeah, um, I, I don't like. Yeah, who like? So when he says "my past and future assassin," uh, what does he mean by that? You know, a lot of the poems riff on our, our assassins mm-hmm. and based, like civil rights. You know, assassins yeah. of various civil rights leaders, and and a lot of um, civil rights leaders who were assassinated, and beyond that. Also, just victims of racial violence, like Emmett Till, mm-hmm. and 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 right. perpetrators of racial violence, like um, uh, w- what's the guy who uh, who shot Trayvon Martin? What's that guy's name again? I George forget Zimmerman. his name.
2: George Zimmerman.
1: George Zimmerman. He comes up like so, and and then the recent uh, very publicized uh, shootings by of unarmed black men by police. That's a recurring motif. So I think that in part the title is referring to that is meant to conjure all of that, that yeah. context, that history and past and future assassin is sort of just seems to reference like the uh, oppressive American system and, you know, and, and, and you know, uh white america in general i
2: think yeah Um. yeah yeah i mean i i think it's hard not to um not to see that in in the title and i think that's certainly a framework that that's in there too i i would also just i was reading some different interviews with him too uh in kind of preparation for this and um i also see it that and i also see um him sort of in a, in a meta sense talking about himself, right? Because so much of this exploration of his own identity and his own memory. And so, you know, there's this, and he's, he's talking in interviews too, about like sort of having this idea of like, look, I don't think I'm going to die tomorrow, but I I'm not confident I'm going to be around in six months. And he sort yeah. of like, lives his life that way and, and engages <laughs> in projects that way. And so I think, um, I think this idea of 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 sort of like the your life itself is what leads to your death, right? Is like Mm -hmm. kind of encapsulated in that title too. And and he teases that concept out in the poems. There's, I think, there's one where he's looking at himself in the mirror, like the assassin is himself. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, that is that's true. In in the interview with Malik, I think he says something like about the title. You know, speaking of the title, he's like, "So I think this dude is trying to kill me." And can I still love him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, like maybe thinking, I mean, it's really interesting if you think about in, in mm-hmm. some instances where he could be referring to himself. Yeah. But this kind of like engagement with these forces, whether inner or outer forces maybe that are, are, are working against him or undermining him, um, I think that's that's what you could say about it. Um, he says, "Can I write a sonnet for my assassin?" Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, in general, I think, and, and this poem is is not no exception. In general, I think these poems kind of they they resist explication.
0: Yeah, I, right. I, I think I, you you hit it right there on the head. Like it's really it was you know as I was reading this, um, uh, I enjoyed reading it. Over and over, yeah. and I got more out of it every time I read it, but, um, you know, to explain it, uh, to paraphrase it, is just impossible, I think. Uh,
2: and it's kind, Maybe yeah, it's not impossible, but, point, you know. Well, I'm sorry, yeah. what was that, Oh no, It's just sort of missing the point a little bit.
0: Exactly, yes, it's missing the point, yeah. Which, I mean, and that's, right. yeah, um, uh, many of our listeners know that uh, that's kind of the whole point of poetry, is to make something that really can't be paraphrased.
2: I don't think he um, intended writing these as a book. It's not like he had a book in yeah, mind he didn't. That's when right. he was writing them. Yeah. But, um, he, he had so many of them, and he was, sort of, he was sort of just using it as like a daily exercise, this form, right, to just yeah. see how far he could take it. And, and then I think after that, he was talking with his editor, and it became a book. Um, but I, I think they actually work better in conversation with each other, and he was sort of talking about, you know, some of the refrains that are repeated. Um, there are a few lines that, um, that wind up coming back as, the, as a first line for some of these mm-hmm. uh, songs yeah. that he starts up, And, and but, I think they just, they speak to each other better, he, right? So that, that sort of lack of explication that we're talking yeah. about, I think the poems themselves wind up kind of contextualizing right. some of it, but right. it's, it's hard in some of the individual ones, I would agree.
1: And yeah, it, yeah. it feels like he's trying to figure out what he wants to say and right. what he's, he's which, doing himself. Which, right? Which the, the... Be, which...
2: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, we're talking no, over be. each other. No, I was just gonna like, which could be uh, like a, a negative and, and a drawback. And I mean, I think he would admit like so, some are some hit me stronger than others, right? Yep. Um, but but I and I there is sort of I don't know. if There's something pleasing about a, a writer at um, at Hayes's powers that's able to do that. It's pretty impressive that he's able to kind of do an almost stream of consciousness yeah. or you know a draft in a day that works in this form and really let him self play with it. Yeah. Um, not yeah. everybody could do that and hold our attention, I think. <laughs> yeah, in the in the Hopkins
0: uh, review uh, interview, which I, I think you're referencing, uh, Mr. Bauerline. Um, yes. Yeah, the, he, uh, so he talks about how, you know, he's friends with Wanda Coleman. He's also friends with um, Amiri Baraka. And, uh, you know, he's talking Mary about how, Baraka, and, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, say it, I'm sorry. Amiri Baraka? Amiri Baraka, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah. And he was he was talking about how you know with both these figures, uh, you know he would disagree with them on a lot of things. And one of the things that uh, he and Baracko uh, disagreed on were um, was re- the subject of revision. You know, Hayes is a reviser, and Baraka comes from the beat aesthetic of first thought, best thought. And yeah. uh, and he says that in these sonnets, instead of revising them, uh, if there was something he didn't he couldn't get quite right on. Uh, one day's draft well then he would just carry that over into the next day's uh poem and and work it out through there so that's where a lot of those refrains come from it's just he's trying to get at it but better you know Mm -hmm. so in a way it's kind of like a i i hate to throw out the cliche uh palimpsest i don't even i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right i'm a uh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> stupid country boy from Louisiana trying to say things <laughs> <word> like that, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's kind of or it's like a um,
1: palimpsest is um, a manuscript or piece of writing material on which the original writing has been effaced to make room for later writing, out of which traces remain.
0: Yes, that's it. Yep. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm saying here is that it's uh, you know, like you you get to see like remnants of. Uh, the previous day and in, in the next days poem although of course you know he's not presenting this as oh this is exactly you know the chronology of the poems like so it's kind of right. kind of mixed up a little bit but i think you do get a sense of that that there's the poems haunt each other in the collection
1: absolutely yeah yeah and there's i think a part of the point of this and you could see it in this poem and maybe we should start talking like about yeah. the poem in particular but you could see a lot of that play Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this is it, it, it's it's intuitive. It's free associative and mm-hmm. it's and he's interested in like that play. He there's a, there there are a lot of examples of puns and plays on words and and just just seeing where it takes him and um you know there's there's something to be said for that. It's entertaining and it's it, you know you could engage with the poems on that level too. Yeah.
2: No, de- definitely definitely.
0: Yeah, so let's look at the, um, you know, at the poem itself. Like w- one thing that strikes me, um, I wonder if like every every couple of lines, maybe even every line, has kind of a volta. Like it just keeps turning and turning and turning. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like he starts off with, "I lock you in an American sonnet that is part prison, part panic closet." So you already you have a dichotomy here. You have a prison, and then you have a panic closet. Uh, they're both unpleasant places to be in, but the panic closet is actually part of someone's home, so it's not an actual prison. And it's um, a safe room, right? Yeah, a it's safe like, room, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, if you're in that panic uh, closet, that panic room, right. uh, things are not good. And, you know, and that's... under know, attack, he, right. Yeah, you <laughs> know, so he says, a little room and a house set of flames. That's what he's talking about. Like, yeah, um, it, it's, you know, this American sonnet is, it, it has, like, you know, two sort of... Opposed poles to it, but neither one of them is very pleasant. It sounds like in this this first couplet, you know.
2: So yeah, I would would actually say that goes through the um, that 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 dynamic goes through the first six lines, right? Yeah, like it seems like he's just um, he's still on that theme, right? And then and then he's for each every two lines, it's a it's a different metaphor Mm -hmm. commenting on that, right? So then it goes goes from the uh, part prison to part panic closet to part music box, part meat grinder, yeah, to song. Song of Bird from the Bone, and then he's going yeah. to put you in a dream-inducing sleeper hold, you know, while your better selves b- watch from the bleachers. Yeah, and he so ha- it's and kind he- of separation. Yeah, you know, you yeah.
1: He uses that uh, anaphora. Yeah. right?
2: right. I, lock I lock you in, lock.
1: and then every other line, I lock you in. I lock your persona, right? Yeah. Which is still, I lock right. Uh, is Bowerline points out that it's the, it's like the first six lines. Now, I think that. Every two lines, there is a kind of turn. But they're all... These first six lines are tied together through... It's all about, you know, um, like I'm locking you in this thing and it's brought together through the anaphora. It's interesting. I feel like this poem has like a reversed octave sestet structure.
2: Yes, yes. I'm seeing that too.
1: So Mm -hmm. usually in... um, a Petrarchan sonnet, say. Uh, the, the, it starts with the octave, which are yep. eight lines and then there's a turn, a volta, and it's followed by six lines. In this poem, it's sort of like it begins with the sesta and then moves more to an octave. An octave so it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, an octave. Um, it, you know, it's he's, uh, he's flipping it around, which is an interesting thing. So it's not just that it's a 14-line poem with, um, you know, a, a line length that is just vaguely suggestive of iambic pentameter, mm-hmm. but he's also kind of preserving some of that structure, but again, changing it and using it for his own purposes.
0: Yeah, the, uh, and, and if um, I imagine there are some people who are listening who might... Might not under, like, might not know what a uh, what a turn is when we talk about a turn in a in a sonnet. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, what we're talking about here is like a shift in rhetoric, a shift in subject matter, uh, some kind of shift, something that demarks it from the rest
2: of the sonnet. Is that correct? Yeah, I would yeah, say well, so, and te- yeah. Tell no. me, and tell me if this is uh, if this is inaccurate, but like in the traditional sonnet, right, that uh, that traditional octet that, that presents it, it's like the first eight lines present some kind of, um, or o- octave, is that what it is? No, <laughs> oh, I
0: sorry. think it's, what? <laughs>
2: it's octave. We're going yeah, yeah, octave is music. But but uh, those first eight lines, right, are presenting some kind octet. of... Octet, I'm, I'm saying, I'm octave. sorry. Yeah. O- yes, I was no, saying
1: sorry. octave. I don't know what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, octet. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's hey, eight, oct eight. You know, like we're yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're close enough. But I w- I was just saying, like in the traditional understanding, right? It, the the first eight are presenting some kind of an argument, right? And then like the last six are either solving that, or there's a problem that's presented, and then there's an answer to it, or sometimes a, yeah. there's just a shift away in a different direction. But it's it's sort of that that's what we're talking about in the term. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And so to, when I think about that in this poem. Um, there's the, there's the anaphora that we pointed out in the first six lines of I lock you, and then in the in the last eight there's this there's um, the device of I make you. So he has he opens yeah. the seventh line with I make you both Jim and Crow here, and then he he runs through sort of the logic of that metaphor on both sides of it, and then in the last three lines he returns to I make you a box of darkness, um, mm-hmm. which I think which again kind of it's just these kind of like little rhetorical moves that I think. Mm-hmm different parts of the poems together and and there's other th- ones we can point to but sometimes he's using rhyme internal rhyme in a way that links parts of the poem together it's yeah. sound but um yeah i i agree with what uh, luke was saying earlier that it seems very associative and almost one of the parts of the fun of it is almost like you're you're discovering it as he's discovering it i don't yeah. think that's exactly true right i think he drafted these over hours sometimes and did oh, yeah. some
1: of it. i think so
2: but yeah. um i think Clearly, right? The 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 work is strong, but also there's there's still this sense of excitement in it, uh, and almost like he's automatic writing, even though it's not. You know, it's yeah. like well-crafted automatic writing or something.
1: Yeah, as he's uh, as yeah. he's working on this, he's coming to, to he he. You know, he's letting the poem and he's letting the drafts yeah, take yeah, yeah. new places. Um, yeah, um, and you know, and it's all. You know, I agree that those last eight lines, the octave, <laughs> yeah. are are, yeah. are are kind of um, um, held together by the anaphora "I make you," I, and, and they and they function as a unit too. In, in the same way, it, uh, at the same time, though, I feel like there's almost something here that's gesturing at a couplet, a final couplet too. Mm-hmm. Um, it it starts. Yeah. You know most of the way through the um the penultimate line, but um this uh this idea you know part of the penultimate line and the final line it is not enough to love you, it is not enough to want you destroyed, and then that kind of has like a couplet feel to it, so I yeah. think that in um in in a in a way is gesturing at um the couplet that would end the Elizabethan sonnet.
2: Mm -hmm. No, Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you because I, because when I was reading these, uh, I see him using that, um, as as a, as a device a lot, like, like sort of, um, either repetition or, or like a dichotomy of ideas, right? There's like a two, uh, two aspects of an idea that are in conversation with each other. And that is sort of operating as a couplet. I see a lot like, like at the beginning too, right? Like the, just the part prison, Part closet, like there's mm-hmm. this these oppositional forces that are put in, or or the yeah. I and the U that often, yeah, get, right. There's the I and the U. see him talking about across the whole. Well, that's not totally true, but that is a that is this this I and U dynamic. Um, you know, the writer speaking to his assassin mm-hmm. is definitely a, a theme that goes through it a lot And
0: then of. yeah, and he even divides the U into other things. You know, the persona right. and the better <laughs> selves. You know, so it's a constant yeah. act of division. Uh, happening in this poem, just con- I, it feels to me constant, you know. Um,
2: the well, well I mean, well, again, until that. you get
0: to the the octet, anyway. I'm sorry.
2: No, but it, like it sort of gets to not to get too like theory heavy on it, but it gets to that um, W. E. Du Bois, um, you know, like see um, that that duality of self, right? Mm-hmm. That that he talked that he talks about and being in the side of like being hyper aware of how others perceive you, and yeah. then like the inner life of who you really are. In American society as you know as a person of color
1: and so yeah this poem is it's both about the form because this is the one poem where he's and I don't know if it's the only poem I I, I'd have to go back and look in in the book that does this but it's one poem in which he's explicitly mentioning and talking about the form and it's Hmm. sort of an exploration I think of form and how it works in poetry, so, like, a kind of ars poetica. Yeah. But yes. at the same time, it's also, I think, a commentary on the African-American experience, right? Mm-hmm. So it feels to me like he's taking the sauna and all of the resonance that a sonnet has in our western literary tradition and he's subverting it but he's also kind of using that i think as a metaphor for the african-american individual finding themselves in american society in a kind of exclusion of for what has been for you know you know, since the beginning of our country kind of exclusionary Hmm. and they're a part of it and they thrive in it in a lot of ways. They're also restricted by it Mm -hmm. and, um, oppressed by it. And it, it feels like he's kind of, he's working through something where he's talking about writing in form, writing with this limit and how, that the limits are freeing but at the same time restrictive and kind of trying to find i think some kind of parallel there with the african-american experience Uh, i i don't know if i'm way off there but that's how i'm reading this poem you do you guys see what i what i mean by that would you agree
2: yeah i think i think i agree with that luke i mean um and I think, I think I like starting with this poem um, beca- because of all the things that you, you just said about it, but uh, like it, it seems like it's laying out the project of um, how he's approaching the book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, it gets that, it's just that short little um, half a line, voltas of acoustics, instinct, and metaphor. To me, that's him laying out, that's like his mini definition condensed of uh, Wanda Coleman's American Sonic. Because he's not just placing, he's not just locking the assassin or the you right in a sonnet in in the entire tradition. He's he's locking them in an American sonnet, which allows room for a complete ex, you know freedom of expression within the form, which which again is sort of what gets back to jazz, right? Like that gets me thinking of like Charlie Parker or Coltrane, right? It's like how far can your imagination take you within the changes of the song? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and. There's a way, of course, that um, we can talk about traditional form and the sonnet form in particular as being exclusionary. Now, I, I, I don't really feel that way, but there's a way that it's often discussed in that sense, right? Yeah. In the sense that it's it's too prescriptive, it's yeah. too academic, or it's too associated with a white european tradition Mm -hmm. and if you're a poet like wanda coleman and you're trying to establish a you know as a lot of poets were doing in the uh, african-american poets were doing in the 60s and 70s around the time when she's writing you're trying to establish a black aesthetic Mm -hmm. right I, i mean you're actively resisting that Right. Because you want to define yourself against it. It's the same thing that I think William Carlos Williams is doing, too, you know, in in trying to establish like an American voice versus a European voice. So it's interesting that she calls it an American sonnet. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And, yeah, so she, you know, she wants to take that form. But as Bowerline said, like. Take it to new places. So she's 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 taking this form. And, and she's, she's putting her own kind of stamp on it. Yeah. Like, like jazz. Right, like right? jazz, right. Very much like jazz, where they, took, where they take, um, you know, in, in some cases established songs and, you know, they take them to wild improvisational yeah. heights and just go nuts with them, right? And that's yeah. kind of what she's doing with the sonnet. And I think he's picking up on that, of course.
2: You know, and since... Um Luke, just to, to piggyback off that, since you're kind of bringing that, that music metaphor into it, could we jump to um, a different poem that kind of just operates in that language a little bit more? Because he does, yeah. there are some poems that talk more explicitly about music. As, as sure, I sure, sure. I mean, what were you thinking? There's one on, um, I'd be happy if, you, if you'd read it, but the, on page 18. It starts on page 18? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how to hold my face when I dance is the first line.
1: I'm not sure how to hold my face when I dance in an expression of determination or euphoria. And how should I look at my partner, in her eyes or at her body? Should I mirror the rhythm of her hips or should I take the lead? I hear Jimi Hendrix was also unsure in dance, despite being beautiful and especially attuned. Most black people know this about him. He understood the rhythm of a Delta farmer on a guitar in a juke joint circa 1933, as well as the rhythm of your standard bohemian on guitar in a New York apartment amid daydreams of jumping through windows, ballads of footwork, monk orchestras, miles with strings, whatever. I'm just saying, I don't know how to hold myself when I dance. Do you? So, uh, yeah what were you thinking when you like you wanted to talk about this bower line what what was your idea of bringing this up here
2: well i think i think again i see um i see this kind of dichotomy that he's bringing in between um and th- this one that's holding it together is between the dance and and music right and and that relationship and i think again um we've got how many lines at the at the beginning there we 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 definitely get this this idea of um, we're focused more on the dancer in the first four lines, and and that idea, and then probably about halfway through that. So it's not clearly defined as um, as as maybe the other one was right. That's when we're shifting into Jimmy, but and and some of his um, some of his awkwardness, I guess, with or maybe like uncomfortable withness with with that as well, and, and which I think the poem is ultimately like pointing out is something that most people experience at some point um, or, or at least asking a question of like that that consciousness um, that you know self-consciousness when moving in rhythm and when and moving in dance right having, yeah. having to face a partner right and, and engage yeah. with that person. oh
1: I mean I, I, I mean I read it and this was one of the poems that jumped out to me because I'm like oh yeah
0: oh I yeah yeah me yeah me too I don't um, know
1: how to dance either. Here's the thing, though, I think it has a special resonance for Hayes mm. because he's an African American, and I think that comes up here, right, and yeah. stereotypically, he's supposed to be able to dance right, right? right, right. yeah, well and and
0: it's yeah, well, yeah, just notice though i mean he it's not that he says he he cannot dance, it's just that he doesn't know how to hold his face
1: yeah, yeah. Right? well, yeah. that he's that he's self conscious about it, right. Yeah he he's right. he's he can dance, but he's sort of like yeah, he, he doesn't give himself over to it. There's exactly. something about him that's yeah. that's that's being that's holding back, right? Yeah, and, and which
0: which means that he can't dance when you think about it too. You know, because like you, if my right. under, you know with dance, it's like you know you either uh, like if you can't hold your face or you don't know do know what to do with your hands or whatever, then you're kind of messing up. Like if you can't give yourself to the rhythm.
1: Yeah if, yeah, yeah, if you're if you're if you're too self conscious, it's you know it's the the end of it. And th- I mean, I'm personally too self conscious. Oh, to I don't really, even attempt it. To- it's <laughs> at, at least in, in public because yeah. you're aware of everybody's eyes on you. But I think it's part about like performance here. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, trying to again find his place in in that you know in in the larger culture right and and this interrogation of who he is like can he you know like it, is he somehow less i mean this is ridiculous but is he somehow less black because he's self-conscious when he dances i think that's part of what he's bringing up here hmm. um but then i mean I, he brings hendrix into it as like a precedent right yeah uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, like, I mean, this goes along with the, the other poem in the, in the sense that I think he's doing a number of things in all of these poems. But I, I think a, a, a common theme throughout it is the sense of the, the African-American experience broadly and then his own place in it and trying to, like, work with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which comes up in the other poem, too, um, where he, in, in a, a, a playful kind of associative way, he brings up Jim Crow, mm-hmm. right? I make you both Jim and Crow, and there's this, I mean, that, that whole um, part of that poem, I make you both Jim and Crow. As the Crow, you undergo a beautiful catharsis trapped one night in the shadows of the Jim. As the gym, the feel of crow shit dropping to your floors is not unlike the stars falling from the pep rally posters on your wall. Um, there's that idea in that poem and sort of this kind of trying to discover your identity in, in amidst antagonisms. Mm-hmm. Does that make
0: sense, if that makes sense? Yeah, that, sense, that does right? make sense.
1: I make you a yeah. box of darkness with a bird in its heart. Like there's a, a another kind of um, uh, motif throughout these poems is this idea of being trapped and penned mm-hmm. inside of yourself and trying to figure out like how do I express myself, right? When there are are these these expectations on me, there are these. Restrictions on me, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, that. Uh, I think that's that's a real theme throughout this, all of these poems, but in 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 these two in particular.
2: You know, and it it, it strikes me too. It like it gets again at that uh, that awareness of duality too, right? Where mm-hmm. and where it's like there's this idea that like to be a successful dancer, you're supposed to be completely given over to that, and yet uh, often to survive in the society, there has to be a constant awareness, right? That goes beyond the self. Yeah. And like it's, danger- it's dangerous to lose yourself in the right. moment. Right? Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, that's what I read in that final line of the, uh, you know, the dance poem. Uh, you know, I don't know how to hold myself when I dance. Do you? He's talking yeah. about more than just the dance. You know, it's, it's everything right. that the dance represents, which is uh, really, I think, happiness. I, I don't, I, yeah. I think what he's kind of saying is, I don't know how to be happy. Uh, Because, you know, I don't, you know, when you look at everything that's, uh, you know, the whole sort of gestalt that this poem comes out of, you know, the the, the association with the election of uh, 2016, you know, that the whole book has, you know, um, and then feeling trapped and constricted and restrained, um, uh, and, and yet there is still dancing. But how, how can you dance with all of this stuff going on, you know, with all these restrictions?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that I'd like to just uh, bring up yeah. another poem um, yeah, I remember. that has to do with this idea of restriction. I think it's the second in the book, and it begins with, inside me is a black-eyed animal. Inside me is a black-eyed animal, bracing in a small stall, as if a bird could grow without breaking its shell, as if the clatter of a thousand black birds whipping in a storm could be held in a shell. Inside me is a huge black bowl, bald small enough to fit inside the bead of a nipple ring. I mean to leave a record of my raptures. I was raised by a beautiful man. I loved his grasp of time. My mother shaped my grasp of space. Would you rather spend the rest of eternity with your wild wings bewildering a cage or with your four good feet stuck in a plot of dirt? So the reason why I, I, I mentioned that poem and I bring that poem up is because I think, again, it has to do with this theme that was in the first poem about being restricted inside the sonnet. Um, I lock you in an American sonnet that is part prison, part Mm. panic closet, a little room in a house that aflame locked in a form, right. And trying to Mm -hmm. exist and work within that restriction. And in the same way that, you know, the other poem talks about, um, this feeling of being self-conscious and, um, and constricted, right, and being like not being able to be free and expressing yourself, and I feel like this same anxiety and claustrophobia is beautifully yeah. <laughs> evoked in this poem um, about being trapped um, a black eyed animal um, again there's all you know, there's all kinds of signaling to to race there mm-hmm. too yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like this. This idea of being trapped and trying to find your way out and, 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 and working against those uh, restrictions, but also finding some kind of, uh, I don't know, there's some kind of um, energy that's generated from that as well. Yeah. Um, well, some kind of,
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, well, and I'm also reading. It's interesting. There's sort of a paradox uh, in my reading of this because um, when he says that uh, inside me is a huge black bull ball, small enough to fit inside the bead of a nipple ring, I, um, I, I kind of come to the the um, the the racist idea of you know the scary, the big scary black man. You know, uh-huh. and this this sense that uh, he must get from time to time walking around, and this sense that people are afraid of him, um, mm-hmm. just because of the color of his skin. And mm-hmm. at the same time, he's he's saying that yes, there is this this black eyed animal bracing inside me in a small stall, um, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like it's sort of it, it's not either or here. Uh, yeah, but but I definitely get that because and I think that that's when he says I was raised by a beautiful man um, You know, I think that that's kind of calling to the other side of it uh, of the of the of the image here that um, uh, You know, he's saying no that that he was a beautiful man like he's he's kind of negating that image of the of the black bull Does that does that make any sense? Am I, yeah, 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 yeah,
1: no, I because I, there is um, a, a turn there that mm-hmm. um, That happens there, right? There's this idea um, about being constricted and about like maybe having like this dangerous destructive force inside of you mm-hmm. that's exacerbated in some way by that uh, restriction, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says, "I mean to leave a record of my raptures," yeah. which is kind of an odd choice of words. Like, wh- yeah. why, why raptures? But then there's a the turn there where he's talking
0: about his father
1: and his mother
0: yeah and sort of um and the the father is time the mother is space
1: yeah that's interesting
0: and that question would you rather spend
1: the rest of eternity with your your wild wings bewildering a cage or with your four good feet stuck in a plot of dirt where there's that again that that image of the wild wings beating against a Mm -hmm. cage and this sort of energy and um you know, uh, this fury that's built up by being in this constricted space, right? About mm-hmm. fighting against this um, oppression or fighting against these limits that are on you. Again, coming back to like this idea that uh, about the sonnet, like where you're constricted within the form but in the same way that form is part of what gives you energy, right? right? But he's kind of saying, look, I could live this sort of life of tension or i could have my four good feet and it's interesting he says four like the bull Mm -hmm. i could not be restricted i could be on this good plot of dirt right Mm -hmm. um and i don't know maybe he's kind of kind of contrasting this he has like two kinds of ways of being there like this rage filled kind of uh bull trapped mm-hmm. penned in, or like this more domesticated animal and that's kind of the way
0: his his parents raised him to be i, I don't know yeah and well and i see the last uh that that final question um as kind of a there's really no choice there you know um you're trapped either way yeah um, in one way yeah. but it, but it is about a question of um the uh, the nature of of what is trapped, I guess. Uh, you know the. I, I mean, when I, you know, you put a gun in my head, I guess I'd rather have wings because at least I had the potential of flight. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, like you're yeah. either you're either
1: kind of trying to fight against the cage, or you're giving into the cage. And yeah. sort of... Yeah, yeah, because I mean, not only does he describe himself as a bull right bracing in a small store or, or, or trapped in like a bead um wh- what is it um the bead the size of, of a nipple ring but he also says as if you're like a bird trapped in the shell too yeah. right so that's yeah. that's calling back to the the wing image there right mm-hmm. yeah but um yeah it's again it seems to be like there's this there's this um dichotomy within him too yeah Right. Um, that comes up in the dancing poem, that comes up in this, and that comes up in the
0: uh uh maybe
1: in the in the in the sonnet poem as well.
0: Yeah, the, the prison and the and the panic closet.
1: Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's either is this form something that you're fiercely fighting against or is it your refuge right 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 right. right. is it something that restricts you that you must get out of or is it something that is a spur to your creativity
2: yeah i mean in
1: some ways
2: it's both i read it i almost read it a little um almost from the opposite view okay a little bit and in the sense that um I, i see i definitely see that dichotomy between uh the his dad and his mother but he says that he loves uh he loved his father's grasp of time right mm-hmm. or he said he was well he didn't say his father he said i was raised by a beautiful man i loved his grasp of time and when i see um that dichotomy of time versus space right uh i see him saying time is sort of like is is the wings be, bewildering the cage so the wings aren't The wings might be might necessarily be trapped, but the wings are actually doing the bewildering to the cage. The cage itself is astonished by the power Mm. of these wild wings. And then Mm. in the last line, it's talking about the 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 good quality is applied to the feet. So you're it's with your four good feet stuck in a plot of dirt. And to me, it's being stuck. That feeling of being stuck and being trapped is sort of like that that uh that shape of space those limitations that form can make you feel trapped whereas like the cage is sort of like the power of the imagination to transcend time maybe right you still have a life to live we're still on this sort of through line of time right but like the imagination can can bewilder the cage whereas like there's that material world of like being just stuck where you are i don't Uh, know but i yeah that that was sort of um how i was reading the last images but i think that 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 dichotomy, right, is is the important thing, and like we could read a number of ways.
0: Yeah, um. exactly. Yeah, yeah, we could definitely read. That. I, I I'd love to hear uh, another reading of this by someone, maybe someone who's listening. Uh, you know, if they wanted to put it in the comments or something, uh, because I'm sure that there's any number of ways we can go at this.
2: But yeah and you know it just strikes me like in some ways maybe that's why they do all have the same title like it's it's almost mm-hmm. like a project where he's trying to rewrite the same poem and get it get it right and get it better or expand it more right get it as mm-hmm. all encompassing and as accurate as possible um, but for a project where uh somebody's sort of like he's not singing the same note he's not singing you the same song in every poem uh, even even if maybe the project of each one is is very similar and getting and using you know metaphor to kind of get at the yeah. same idea
0: yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's about all we have uh, for this episode of Works Cited. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for more information about the poems that we discussed during this episode, please visit our website at WorksCitedPodcast.com. And here, as always, to play us out is Philadelphia's own The Late Grace.